Voice Talks presented by Google Assistant is premiering Tuesday, April 28th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You'll hear from industry experts, voice-first influencers, and platform creators each month for a deep dive into our rapidly evolving voice industry. This monthly event will include things like the latest in marketing innovations and trends, time for you to ask the expert, plus the chance to win exclusive prizes courtesy of Google. Hosted by Sophia Altuna, one of Google Assistant's top industry experts and a leader on the global product partnerships team, we encourage you to register for this free event and join us at voicesummit.ai slash talks. That's voicesummit.ai slash talks. We can't wait to see you there. Boris is the head of marketing at Hiro. He talks about his journey into voice technology, his work with Google Duplex, and how his company Hiro is helping the healthcare sector during COVID-19 with their voice and chat application. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is your host, Kerry Roberts. And today my guest is Aaron Boris. He's the head of marketing at Hiro. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Kerry. Happy to be coming to you live from Tel Aviv. Yes. So you uh, were telling me you grew up in New York, you've lived in Israel for a while, and you've also worked for Google before joining Hiro. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey into technology and AI? Yeah. So I actually moved to Israel when I was 19 years old to join the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. But before that, I grew up in Great Neck, Long Island. I'd always been fascinated by technology. Uh, I was one of those middle schoolers who was always going to uh, HowStuffWorks.com to see how various tools functioned and mechanisms and that kind of thing. So uh, tech kind of always spoke to me. And marketing was also a natural transition for me, having loved to write from an early age and also do, do some creative advertising alongside my father. So advertising, marketing, and tech kind of blended well for me and, and took me to where I am today. Uh, I've been in Israel for about uh, 10 years now, which is a really convenient place to be since Tel Aviv is considered one of the premier startup hubs globally. And uh, and yeah, technology is just something that I've been doing now for five years, working in high tech, and it's an exciting space to be in. Yeah. So you worked with Google Duplex for a while. So yeah, tell us about that. And for those that don't know what Google Duplex is, can you talk about what it is and the work you did with that? Of course. So first of all, there's a distinction to be made, I think, between uh, the Google Assistant team versus Google Duplex. So you have Google's actual virtual assistant, the Google Assistant, and Google Duplex was a project that worked in the background of that. So consumers, anybody who has an Android or has downloaded the Google Assistant app, could go in and request a restaurant reservation and the Google Duplex project would then be fired. And in the background, what happened is you'd have a very human-like AI-powered call being placed out to a restaurant or a hairdresser, among other types of businesses, to make an appointment or a reservation. So that's kind of the difference between those two, and they would work in tandem in order to achieve that user objective. Google Duplex was this brilliant brainchild from a person named Yaniv Leviathan, who's uh, also Israeli. And the project itself focused on new technologies for conducting natural language-based conversations. And again, that's to execute these real-world tasks over the phone. Simple objectives like scheduling certain types of appointments that, although aren't necessarily complex in scope, are actually time-consuming and considered you know, things that maybe consumers don't need to do themselves. And the idea behind this technology specifically was to allow people to speak normally, like they would to another person, without having to adapt to some kind of rigid flow from something like you know, a traditional IVR or 
some other type of machine. And the product actually became so convincingly human-like that it fell below a 1% detection rate, which is essentially almost like passing the Turing test, right? So people really could not fathom that they were speaking to this artificial entity. It became almost unbelievable. And that came to a head. The, the major ooh-ah moment for Duplex was actually when Sundar, the CEO of Google, stood on stage at the I.O. in uh, 2018, and he exposed these disfluencies that made Google Duplex kind of stand out for what it was. And some examples of those, and I think maybe a couple of listeners to this podcast are probably familiar with this just because it was big in the voice AI space, but a couple of those were like, mm-hmm, gotcha, and uh, okay, cool. And those kinds of nuances in the English language are really tough to teach AI. But when you have them, it turns off people's defenses in terms of being able to assume, okay, I'm talking now to something that is not of my species. Like I'm talking to something that's totally artificial. So that was a very special moment and presentation and obviously a big win for the duplex project. It went viral. A lot of that technology was based on strong TTS, text-to-speech technologies, synthesis. I think the engine was run through Tacotron and WaveNet. And those were used to create these new recordings automatically for parameters like date and time and also make sure that the timing, the lag, all these things that are intricate in, in human language were framed correctly so that the conversation really flowed properly and you felt like you were talking to a human being. And then I think one other thing I'll, I'll mention about Duplex and I'll, I'll kind of move on, but this is important into the segue of now what we do it at Hiro. So one of these key decisions for Duplex was to contain it to closed domains. So domains that are narrow enough that you can you know, master them quickly, but also have enough attributes and uh, nuances that you can explore them extensively. For Duplex specifically, this was restaurant reservations. That's where it started. And that meant that it couldn't carry out general conversations. So what I said before about passing the Turing test, that's in one domain. But that doesn't mean if you start asking uh, Google Duplex, hey, is it going to be sunny tomorrow, that it'll all of a sudden be able to answer you with the same efficiency that it could if you were talking about things that were related to the restaurant industry. So that's an important distinction. It's specific to its use case. And that's a fundamental difference from what we're trying to do now at Hiro. I was just talking to someone else for this show about the importance of what you're talking about, the nuances, using certain slang, using timing so that it feels more natural. And I think a lot of companies kind of push that aside or feel like it's not as important or maybe they don't know how to tap into that. And so I think when you're talking about that with Google Duplex and the difference it makes that that little bit makes somebody feel more connected to the AI and want to use it is a really important piece. So I thank you for sharing that and bringing that up. And now you had said you joined Hiro last year and I'd love for you to tell us what the company is about and why it interested you to join them, especially with your background with Google Duplex as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Hiro is at its core a natural language and conversational AI company. It was founded by Israel Crush and Ram Cohen out of Cornell Tech. They were doing their masters together. And Uri Valevsky, who is the CTO and came from Google Duplex, has a crazy resume in terms of you know voice technologies and linguistics. So the three of them came together and started this company. What we do is we power our virtual assistants through natural language. And there's an emphasis there, again, on linguistics and understanding. So the belief is that you, you can understand you know, basic structure, you can understand a paragraph, you can understand, you know, the entire piece. Our focus is more on understanding as opposed to something like, uh, you know, other projects where it's supposed to be human centric and trying to make these personal connections. We understand that we're an AI agent 
And the idea is to get users the help they need as quickly as possible. Beyond that, I think what makes us different and why I'm very high on the company and the trajectory is the capabilities that we have in terms of really seamless and lightning fast deployment. So not to sound too much of a marketing guy here, but we are extremely quick in terms of how we can automatically understand information by scraping it. And it's from various sources. So like you can give us a database, we can scrape your information, which might be disorganized on a bunch of different websites. You can give us APIs. You can give us all of those things and we can scrape all that information and add natural language understanding layers, you know, map that to our knowledge graph, which is essentially a bunch of nodes that understand different parameters and attributes and are able to add context. And then we deploy on a website or a call center or an app or really it's an omni-channel solution. So the idea is that with one line of code, you can embed a conversational interface extremely quickly and scale that as well, you know, as you want to add to more channels or different use cases entirely. So while Google Duplex, for instance, went domain by domain, we're trying to actually focus on understanding a language at its core and then extracting from that the different types of use cases, as opposed to vice versa, doing use case and then understanding the language. And now we're using those you know, same type of technologies, and we, that's how we were able to apply this to helping with COVID-19 so quickly. In the last couple of months, Hyra developed a hybrid voice and text virtual assistant for free to help healthcare organizations deal with COVID-19. Can you talk a little bit about how and why this started and how it's helping right now? Yes, it's my favorite topic since it's literally happening in real time. And we're really proud that, that it's going so well, actually. So it started in February when one of our senior engineers, Guy Ling, he had this idea to offer a chatbot for coronavirus. Um, he's kind of obsessed with the coronavirus. He's made his own graphs for the last couple of months. He's like a COVID-19 Nostradamus, predicting the different trajectories of, of this and that. But anyway, at that point, this wasn't yet full-blown in the U.S., and so we kind of shelved the idea. We predominantly work with U.S. healthcare organizations, and their patients weren't yet demanding this type of information. But then once the explosive numbers started to appear out of Washington, we jumped into action. And I want to clarify, I know people say uh, it's important nowadays to pivot a lot. For us, this wasn't a pivot. We were already in healthcare. This is more of a hard reflex. And the reflex naturally represented our company values to pay it forward and kind of create this good product for the greater good kind of thing. And it took about 24 hours to craft our messaging around free COVID-19 conversational assistant for healthcare. We revamped the website and immediately started you know, emailing all our friends, clients, partners in healthcare. And within maybe 48 to 72 hours, we had our first deployment. It was almost instant, at least in the world of B2B SaaS. This was almost like a, an instant reaction from us, which we're all very proud of that we were able to do this so quickly. And the idea to give it for free was almost a no-brainer. I don't think anyone in the company discussed price models. So what was the motivation? So it was genuinely developed to help these overwhelmed healthcare organizations currently dealing with an unprecedented spike in traffic across their communication channels, like, for instance, websites or call centers. And in addition, we noticed a slew of misinformation that was coming from various sources across the web, of course, social media, but even chatbots, just the wrong facts, rumors, purposeful misinformation. So we set out to assist these global citizens and patients who are struggling to find these validated answers that they need. So it was really two-pronged to help the healthcare organizations themselves and also you know, the patients who they need to serve and don't necessarily have those resources. 
Currently, as I'm speaking to you today, our virtual assistants are now serving thousands of patients daily. That's across organizations like Mercy Health, who are, I believe, top 10 in the United States, Montefiore Medical Center, Austin Regional, Biocrinal Medicine, Genesis, and the list goes on. And what we're doing is, as you uh, mentioned before, so it's providing initial risk assessment. So, you know, you come in and say using text or voice, you know, hey, I just came back from Spain two weeks ago and now I have a light cough. You know, what are my chances for having this? To symptoms triaging, which is similar in the sense of like, uh, you know, okay, I have a, a light fever. Here's the temperature. You know, are these the symptoms of coronavirus? And moving on to just sourcing these real-time preventative data from the CDC, the World Health Organization, among others. And that's really, again, the bread and butter of our company is being able to quickly scrape real-time data from you know, various trusted sources and, and embed them into this conversational interface. And for us, now what we're working on as well is there's also a 200% increase in healthcare hotline waiting times since the outbreak of the virus. That's according to the Washington Post. So we're actually looking now at launching a COVID-19 AI-powered hotline. And basically, that's going to be you know, a um, call center assistant that also fields patient queries. So when patients need to call their hospitals to find out information about the virus or try and schedule something, et cetera, we would be the ones, the first line to pick up the phone and then either redirect to the right department or handle that task ourselves through our assistant. And another thing we're going to do is maybe go on the offensive and start calling patients who have exhibited symptoms in the past and do checkups. Instead of waiting for them to call the hospitals, having the hospitals call those registered patients and say, hey, we understand you had a light cough the other day. What's the status of that cough? You know, Is this getting better? And our clients aren't the only ones benefiting, uh, nor are the patients. And I, I definitely have to mention that for us, throughout this process, it's been amazing for our company. You know, As terrible as the situation is, there's a silver lining for us in the sense that you know, we've quadrupled our deployments, quadrupled, you know, the number of healthcare organizations that are using our product. We've established these genuine bonds with healthcare IT execs who really appreciate what we're doing, you know, who send us thank you messages. And of course, again, it's free. So of course, there's like, there's an easier transaction here, but the idea is that we're really helping and we feel it. I think it's night and day, you know, when you can offer true value right now completely different when you send an email and it's like, you know, hey, Carrie, we're here for you doing COVID-19. We're offering you scented candles for 50% off versus, you know, hey, Carrie, we know you're a healthcare professional. We've got this thing that can truly help those affected by the coronavirus. Use this, give it to your colleagues, it's free. I think the messaging for us is a lot easier as well as a company to get this out there. And to boot, which I'd mentioned to you before, but this is a nice bonus. We're now being written up in, in Gartner and Forbes and MarketWatch. So I believe in a karmic way that our reflex is paying off for healthcare professionals, their patients, and also for our business as well. And this has been a, a truly interesting time for us. Yeah, I congratulate you and your team. And I, I think you're saying it well. You know, you're saying, how can we help in the best way possible? You're right. There is a difference between the insane amount of emails all of us get offering strange things or discounts that we don't need. And here you are saying, here's how we can actually help. And even though it's free, you know, you are building your brand, your message, what you do. And it's almost like a use case too, because people can see, oh, wow, if it worked for this, what else can it work for my company or my business? And so it's so smart. And I congratulate you and your team again for really taking action and not just in one way with voice and text, but like you said, now being able to have a way to follow up with people who had symptoms, it helps so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. I really do. I think the entire team deserves credit. We're really small, scrappy startup. 
we're 17 people, you know, post seed. So it is easier. I'll grant that to uh, whichever companies have a slower reaction time or something like that. It is different when you're 17 people. It's a lot easier to steer the ship. But yeah, everyone on the team is working in overdrive and it's incredible to witness and, and I'm proud of the team. And I know that our co-founders are extremely satisfied with and humbled and touched by what we've been able to accomplish. Now, I'm curious, you grew up in New York, you live in Israel now, your company's in Israel, but they do a lot of work in the U.S. From an overall AI perspective, what has been your experience in seeing the average person, the consumer adopt and use AI in the U.S. versus Israel, for example? Do you see any differences? Sure. I don't have the numbers exactly for Israel. Full transparency. I don't know if what I'm going to be saying specifically relates to Israel, but I can tell you that the three countries where you see the most adoption of voice AI specifically is the US, Canada, and the UK. And the idea is that it's notably less in other places, and it's mostly based on language. I think the adoption rate in China is like 10% or something for voice AI. That's because a lot of the functionality and third-party skills and apps you know, that feed these, these systems like Alexa and Google as well, they revolve around English. And it's important to master that language if you're going to go into voice AI. I think in Israel, you have a lot of the major voice AI startups based in terms of R&D. So that's fantastic for us, of course, to be amongst that great talent. I'm not sure that translates to consumer adoption of voice in Israel. When it comes to voice, I have the whole Philips Hue set up. As we're talking, the lights are seen that sunset in the living room. So my whole house is a smart or my whole apartment is a smart apartment. But I'm not sure how much consumerism translates to the actual development that's happening, the engineering that's happening behind voice AI in Israel. I do know the numbers in the US are insane in terms of growth and that we have now 25% of consumers have a smart speaker in their home, which is incredible when you think about it. You know, that number back in, in, I think, 2016 was 8%. So the growth is impressive. And, you know, just a couple months ago, there was a report that came out. There's 500 million Google Assistant users globally. Amazon Alexa has doubled their enabled devices over the past year. So when we speak about daily usage, I think there's a huge percentage of the population that engages with this medium on a daily basis. The growth is taking place for sure in the United States, and it's trickling to other countries as well. It's also in Canada and the UK, it's particularly high. And I don't think this is a fad or a trend, but rather a fixture of modern technologies. For us, I feel like voice needs to be a facet of the offering and not like the spoon-fed focus, which I think is an important distinction. And what I mean by that is that voice capabilities should be included alongside and not instead of text and chat. What we see from our end is that desktop users are going to continue to prefer to type and mobile users are going to continue to adopt to voice-based action. And that's especially going to continue with the omnipresence of AirPods where you, know, you can't be on the street and, and, uh, and not see a person with AirPods. So it's important to try to be this hybrid solution is what I'm getting at and allow voice to gradually take you know, its natural place in conversational AI. It's a marathon, not a race, that kind of thing. Well, I just want to stop you right there because I think that is something that we've been hearing a lot on this show recently. And I think it's something people in the voice tech community as well as consumers need to understand is that voice doesn't replace everything. It's not the only thing that we're going to use or expect people to use, but it's in conjunction with an entire system as you're talking about this kind of hybrid system of voice, text, mobile, all of this. So I love that you too are also saying this because I agree. I think it's really important that we're using it within a full system. Well said. 
how do you see voice and AI changing the world going forward, especially with the way the world has changed in the last few months, whether it's from a healthcare perspective or just as a whole? So great question. Yeah, I guess it's smart to answer that through the lens of different verticals. In terms of healthcare, it's explosive. In terms of AI technologies and telehealth, telemedicine is experiencing now this revolution in terms of adoption. I mean, the rates are crazy at which people are are now forced almost into digital transformation. So healthcare IT execs, if they didn't have buy-in before from the rest of their healthcare organization, at this point, it's a necessity. Whereas before, telemedicine was viewed as something that was, uh, you know, okay, well, we can continue to slowly add these features and these types of, of you know, mediums. And now I really think that um, AI-powered scheduling, call centers, uh, in terms of having some kind of AI-powered assistant that answers the calls and, and is able to reroute to the right doctor and having all of this be streamlined digitally, as opposed to, you know, physical engagement is now, at least for the next couple of months, and maybe we won't go backwards, right? It's truly imperative. And so I think it's become a need in healthcare for sure. And, you know, AI can always be automating these certain touch points and and that kind of thing. It's just now coming to a head. So yeah, I think that digital engagement is going to continue to skyrocket and that creates need for AI powered solutions, whether that's, you know, AI voice assistants or chatbots or, you know, for operations teams as well, IT teams, you know, automating tickets because now there's more people online requesting things and maybe there's more bugs through that and different offerings. So I think on all fronts, just digital engagement is going to increase, which will have a direct effect on AI being more prevalent as well. And then an interesting point is that a lot of people, even before coronavirus, were afraid that AI would take jobs. You know, AI systems would really take away from certain sectors by automating everything. But it's not really what we've seen in the past. What it is instead, it opens up certain divisions to hire more skilled labor by cutting costs in other areas. So even though unemployment's going up, I think really companies that are going to adopt AI solutions in order to handle certain volume, you know, and certain channels, it's not going to affect the rate of hire as a whole of the organization. It's just going to affect the amount of unskilled versus skilled labor that the organization is going to be adding to their payroll. So if anything, it can be a positive factor depending on the industry and depending on the organization. That's a really good point. (laughs) I think you're right. Most people are, they are afraid it's going to take jobs, but it's more about, like you said, being able to scale situations and being able to have people that are more skilled, we can bring them in and pay for them more because now we don't need them to do kind of the menial tasks that now an AI can do instead. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, time will tell. I, there are a lot of proponents and a lot of opponents, of course, to AI-powered assistance in general. Also, when Google Duplex came out, there was a lot of buzz. It, it did go viral, but there are a lot of people that were actually relatively scared of the that type of technology that can emulate human conversation. And nobody wants to feel that that's going to be obsolete. You know, no one wants to feel like uh, that human connection is obsolete, which I don't think it is. And I don't think it ever will become for specific tasks. AI powered solutions just make sense in order to save people time and effort to focus on other things that are a little bit more intricate tasks and processes. So, so yeah, I think future is going to be interesting for AI, especially because of COVID-19. And so we talked about a lot today. If people want to connect with you or they want to learn more about what your company is doing, or maybe they want to have your AI work with their healthcare facility, where can they connect and learn more about all of this? 
Yeah, the COVID-19 assistant is free. It's predominantly for healthcare organizations, but we have had requests from all different types of companies actually who just want to supply their customers with the right information or universities that want to you know, help students uh, perform risk assessment and give them the verified data that they're looking for. So really anyone who would want to deploy this can reach out to Aaron, A-A-R-O-N at hiro.ai. Or go to our website, which is www.hyro.ai slash COVID-19. And you can request free deployment there and, and we'll be in contact. Perfect. Thank you so much, Aaron, to you and to your team for all the value you're providing and all the great things you're doing during this difficult time for the world. And I look forward to hearing more about what you all do in the future. Thank you so much, Carrie. And I can't wait to see you at the Digital Voice Summit. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.